the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are finally exposed to HBO's teen sex fest euphoria, which doesn't make us feel old at all. We join Ashlyn B and Sharon Horgan for their new comedy, This Way Up, and pull on the spandex with Alison Brie for the third and final season of Glow. But wait, there's more. Not only do we have all that, but Gemma Chan and Dominic Savage swung by the studio this week to have a chat with me about I Am Hannah, which airs this week. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your essential guide to all things on the Gogglebox and a show that's brought to you by one brash northern woman and two entirely interchangeable bald white men. So much so, in fact, that my own family, including my uncle and my mother, yes, it seems the entire Dyer clan has started listening to this podcast. Hi, guys. Uh, but I digress. The point is that neither my uncle nor my own mother can tell me and Boyd apart. And this <laughs> This is actually legitimately true because my mum came over to tell me this recently. <laughs> Wait so, a minute, I don't watch The Expanse. So to that end, I am joined by my bespectacled alter ego, my mini-me, if you will, a man upon whom the fates bestowed the dubious honour of being my identical voice twin. It's Boyd Hilton. Oh, like voice-wise? I thought you meant like they thought I was literally the same person as you and I liked all the same nerdy sci-fi stuff. No. Apart from us both being bald. Yeah. Well, I got glasses. Yeah. I'm much shorter than you. Yeah. And I'm not as much of a gigantic nerd. So it's a voice thing. Apparently, voice our voices thing. are really? the same. Where, where were you? Where were you born and raised? London. Well, London. Kind of, no, not London. No, not London. Not London. London. <laughs> no, like uh, like uh, home counties. Like, right. Oh, okay. yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. Middlesex. Because I have got. Oh, I've got an Essex kind of monotone of voice. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm Middlesex. Oh, we've got Middlesex yes. monotone. God, that's terrifying. Yeah. Terry's looking around saying, "You're Thank all God fucking Terry's bald, here. white man. You sound the same to me with an interesting, authentic accent." That's right. That's right. It's like we're watching like quite a tedious man argue with himself in the mirror. Do you think we sound alike, you two have this conversation? Um, no, not right. at all. Close your eyes. Who's talking? You are. <laughs> <laughs> You've disproved that. Right. In one You heard it here first. Harry instantly was able to tell that it was, in fact, me talking. So, But I probably um, spend more time with you than both your mother and your uncle. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Yes. Um, is this working? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, fine. All right, well, we've disproved it. Boyd? You are no longer my identical voice twin. We clearly sound very much not alike. Uh, if you, as a listener, feel otherwise, do let us know. Um, of course, you've already heard her, but one of these things is not like the others, and our third musketeer will never be mistaken for either Boyd or myself. You'll know her by her distinctive dulcet tones, her willingness to fight about, well, anything, and her unseemly distaste for our beloved Banshee segment. It is, of course, Terry White. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Really good. How are you? Was that was that a posh voice? Were you doing posh voice there? Was that what that really was? Quite cool. Were you being a bit southern? <laughs> Hello, I'm Terry White. Really quite good. Thank you, James. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, what have you been watching, Terry? Uh, I have been watching. Okay, I've finally cracked. Downton. No, oh. I started. 
Big Little Lies. Oh, you did. Oh, how quickly your principles wash away. <laughs> so I couldn't help myself. I was I was stuck at home um, the other day and I was like, oh, God, it's all sat there waiting for me. And I could feel it like calling to me from inside the television. Mm. Terry, Terry, Terry. Um, and I'm enjoying it very much it's so great. far, <laughs> which is really upsetting me as well. So yeah, I'd really like, not like it? to talk about it. And we've got the third chapter in the ongoing Big Little Lies controversy to talk about in news. How do we? Oh, we could talk about it now. Oh, I've missed this. No, let's oh, do yeah. it now. Okay, because well, you know Kidman, finally, Kidman and Witherspoon went on the record. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. completely missed this. So at the uh, they did a chat with a magazine and um, they said they outright denied that anyone had not been communicated with properly, is what they said. So they're not disagreeing that... She was. She lost creative control. No. They're just saying she they're, knew about it. Yeah, they're saying she was never. They're saying effectively she was never promised creative control. So they and they also rev, they they said what the HBO head said about the whole thing was beautiful, which I thought was a really weird, very actory mm. way of talking. Mm. Uh, he said beautiful, like as in I guess the friends of that said without. He kept saying without um, Andrew Arnold there would be no second yes. season, which is one you know. So they they emphasised that. Kidman said he said it beautifully. That's why we had him handle of it, handle it. So so they also talked about why they hadn't commented thus far. And Witherspoon added, in our minds, there is no controversy. We just love the show. We had a great time doing it. There's a lot of misinformation and no credited sources on any of the information. This was an incredibly collaborative process for all of us. And the idea that anyone was mistreated and not communicated with is completely not true. Ooh. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I'm a slightly changed, not changed my mind, but I still think it must have been horrendous what Andrew Arnold's gone through. Mm. But... Yeah, and if if it was, I mean, I trust IndieWire's reporting. I have to say, I think you can't. No, no, the, yeah. the way that news reporting works, if anybody knows, <laughs> is not always on named mm. sources. Actually, course, yeah. so I think that kind of is unfair to c- kind of cast a lack of credibility yeah. on it. Due to that, it's a very traditional way of reporting out news. Actually, yeah. um, and the fact that Andrea Arnold still hasn't commented, I I can't imagine it would be wildly fabricated and not in any way true. Of course, yeah, because yeah, um, if it wasn't true, she'd have been like, no, this isn't true at all. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. she declined to comment at all, all, all times. Presumably yeah. if she'd have been presented mm. with something that was distinctly without merit, then she would have said that. Yeah, and, and interest, intriguingly, I, I think they do want to do another season. I think because, they will. Yeah, I think they will as well. Because right. they talk about how, well, when you get, we, we won't talk about the ending, but they talk about how they wanted, they, that for various reasons, they want, that, you know, they want to carry on. Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone will love it if they do, except maybe Andrew Arnold. Yeah. We'll see. What have you been watching, Boyd? I, well, I had a, I've had a very um, kind of non pilot TV week of TV consumption. I've done, you know, when Terry goes off and watches like 18 episodes of CSI. Oh, yes. My equivalent of that is watching like factual stuff. And not only have I watched Mortimer and Whitehouse go, gone fishing, which is one of my favourite shows in which Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse literally go fishing and talk about being old geezers who have medical problems, considering I am an old geezer, probably with medical problems. <laughs> I totally relate to that. That's a brilliant show. That's on BBC Two on Fridays. I also went to see Britain's Got Talent, The Champions, live oh earlier in the week. Boyd. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I was doing it professionally because I was doing a feature following David Williams around. And um, I got to hang out with all the people there, Simon Cowell, Anton Deckard. But the big revelation of the whole thing, it was worth it, honestly. I know you haven't heard of any of these people, James. <laughs> I really but, haven't. But Declan Donnelly of Anton Deck fame, who is one of the most famous Antoine people. Deck. Yes. One of the most famous people in the country, told me that when he gets the chance, he listens to this podcast. 
Really? You sure he wasn't just saying he that? He wasn't just saying it. He said it's when he goes on holiday, when he's away, when he's not working every single day, he listens to the podcast. And he actually said he's going away now for a few weeks and he will listen to the podcast. So shout out to Deck. If you're Hello, Anto Deck. Yeah, Deck. Is this going to be one of those things where Deck will now go on Twitter and say, oh, the Pilot TV podcast is brilliant. Love that Boyd Hilton and Terry yeah. White. Really great I mean, stuff. I expect Just like James so. Gordon. Yeah, absolutely fully expect yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Cheers, Deck. Effectively, I've watched. Well, actually, I watched the uh, the uh, Eddie Murphy comedians and cars getting coffee. Oh, yeah. But I'm not going to talk about it. It was very good. Yeah, what I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, what I want to talk about. I watched this week the second part of the I Am series. I Am Kirsty, which I had been putting off because I thought it would be traumatic. Oh my god, was it traumatic? So this, and I texted Terry as soon as I seen this. This, this, this was incredible, an incredible hour of television, and the single most depressing hour of television I have ever spent. So this was. Um, this is this is the. I mean, you're going to hear from from Dominic Savage later on in this show when we talk about the third one. Much less depressing. I am Hannah. But uh, so this is this Samantha Morton as a you know as as a working sort of single mum who finds herself in extreme financial difficulty and is terrorised by Thoris of Mir and uh, and ends up having to turn to sex work in order to support her children and. Like, we talked about this, and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. I think, A, the acting in this is incredible, and it's an incredibly powerful story. And the fact that it is not based on Samantha Morton's own life, but it is based on people that she has had contact with, you know, there's a realness to it. There's an honesty to it. And there's a sense that, and Boyd, as someone who's interchangeable with myself, you know, middle-class people such as ourselves, born of, dare I say it, a certain amount of privilege, like, have no conception of the kind of desperate, poverty that this episode depicts and you know it's not like i had some sort of damascene conversion from watching because we talked about this sort of stuff quite a lot but it really hit home for me how far outside a lot of people's experience this kind of thing is and when you know people read the daily mail and things like that it's, it's very easy to kind of see that caricature of people and to you know you you talk about the demonization of the working classes and whatnot and you know, reality TV, but the sort of the idea that somehow poverty is self-inflicted and somehow there's always a way out of it if you just, do you know what I mean? And this this showed that kind of a person in a situation where there was just no way out of this situation mm. and the hopelessness com- that comes from that. And I found it incredibly affecting. Uh, I really did. That said, it is absolutely not a lol fest of any kind. So, I mean, Terry, you love misery porn, so this is your bread and butter. I but. do, but I, t- I tell you what you're reacting to, right, is there are so few mm. genuine depictions of life in poverty mm. in this country on either television or screen. Ken Loach is pretty much the only person doing it in cinema. Um, and what's astonishing about it is it's unflinching, but it's not without warmth and empathy. And empathy for me is the real difference, which is there are plenty of programs in this country on poverty, on the underclass, yeah. on, and we're not talking about the working class here. We are talking about people who are below the poverty line. You've got four million children in this country living in poverty, and the representations of people living in poverty on our tellies are mainly disgusting mm. and far removed from reality, and actually devoid of any empathy. And I think what Dominic Savage has done in collaboration with Samantha Morton here in a completely different way from I Am Nicola last week, yeah. and from a, in a completely different way from I Am Hannah, which is going to be next week, he has created a authentic, true, nuanced 
honest and empathetic portrayal of a woman stuck in those circumstances. And it is unlike anything I have seen depicting that woman, that life and those children. And I think it's remarkable for that. But I think it makes for very difficult viewing because we like to think that that doesn't really exist in this country. Let's be honest. So that, in my slightly bumbling Hugh Grant-esque way, was what I was trying to say. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Terry. Thank I, you, I, Terry. I to say I watched it as well, <laughs> and I completely agree. But it is that—that's what I kept thinking. How rarely do we see mm. these people on TV? In, in, I mean, you see them in factual shows on Channel Five, and and with the skew. Mm. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not, dis, I'm not necessarily just in Channel Five. I'm just saying that's a different thing, and. Um, you can almost, and it's interesting because you, you almost go back to Kathy Come Home. Yeah. And then what's the 60s? Yep. yep. You can you can remember these things and not maybe the old Mike Lee piece, yeah. you know, down the You literally you can remember the handful of things. Do you remember we did that thing, didn't we, um, on BBC Two? Was it late last, last year, which was about those people having to go to a kind of halfway house place? Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Which, and it literally, you, got, you can think of these isolated moments yeah. where people living in actual poverty are, are depicted in any way humanely. Mm, in TV fictional and TV scripted drama, and it, it, it's unbelievable. But you see, middle class and posh people, we can make out every you know, every single story is about. So that's that, and it is a brilliant show, completely hundred percent. Yeah, but it that it, that did absolutely. Brilliant. But I, I felt like it sounds really ridiculous. But there was a part in this like I almost wish that something not necessarily even this but something like this was almost like required viewing in private schools you know what i mean mm. i just think and this is what people always talk about the university experience it's really important to uh to socialize and to meet and have contact with people who are outside of your you know socioeconomical ethnic religious group so you meet other people and you understand other stories because otherwise you grow up up until that sort of very narcissistic age in your sort of late teens early 20s where you only know one narrative mm. and you have no understanding of what life is like outside that narrative and I don't think that makes for a particularly well-rounded member of society. And I don't think it it qualifies you to, for example, vote. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? I think you need to have an understanding of all sections of society to really see how we fit into it. It's possible we've digressed a little <laughs> bit away from the TV podcast <laughs> that we set out to make today. But hey-ho, there's my little bit of uh, socio-political pontificating. So that segues us almost seamlessly into Funny or Dire. Uh, <laughs> The Amazing. weekly death match between small screen comedy and the uh, grim shroud that is my happy face. Uh, this week's patient comes to us via Adam Snape and is, drumroll, Silicon Valley, season one, episode eight, optimal tip-to-tip efficiency. So, I've never seen Silicon Valley before. This was my first encounter with it. So this is the it's the eighth part of the first season. It's an ongoing storyline. I don't have the first fucking clue what was going on for the beginning of this. But then very quickly it became clear I don't think I really needed to. Like it's just mm. nerdy people yeah. doing nerdy things. Yeah. And when you get to it, they're in a competition. It doesn't really matter how they got there. Someone got punched a week before. It doesn't matter. Um I did actually laugh in this. I've got to, <gasps> I've got to confess. <laughs> I when? can't say I found the whole thing <laughs> really funny as a rule, but there was a moment where I did laugh. Do you think this is a product of its time, right? Because you know that I have also never seen it. Mm. And one of my really good friends has always said to me, you must watch Silicon Valley. I think you'd really like it. I haven't. I would, Knowing you as I do, I would <laughs> never have made that recommendation. Well, so I literally had that reaction. I was like, 10 minutes in going this is loads of geeks making geeky jokes is that kind of it for the entire hour and then I was thinking is this kind of because it's obviously it's very <laughs> 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 it just felt like an hour, hour of years 
very specific time, you know, like with the kind yeah. of the growth of Silicon Valley and that whole kind of this this birth of the tech entrepreneur, the Mark Zuckerbergs before he became mm. evil, who's just a bit of a, a insular, introverted geek who kind of can't um, really talk to people, can't talk to girls, all of those kind of tropes around those tech bros yeah. who are people who've been desperately socially unsuccessful for their entire lives and then use their massive brains to become financially and economically successful, but still struggle with the same social kind mm, of difficulties. Mm. And so I was like, maybe this would have been funnier and, and felt more relevant five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, because I mean, it's 2014, yeah. so it is literally five years I think years the problem ago. with this is, so I have watched Silicon Valley, pretty much all of it, and I really like it, but it has kept up with the times as it's gone on. But so, so subsequent series, they, you know, they pivot to video, they pivot to video chat, then they pivot to creating an alternative internet, kind of without government, any government interference. Yeah. And then they go on, you know, at, um, cryptocurrency, they dealt in the last series, you know, they create, which went horribly wrong. And what it does, the kind of the main comedic force of it which kind of was a little bit shown in this episode is every time you think they're either going to be really successful with one of these things it ends up going completely wrong mm. or every time you think it's going to go completely wrong it ends up being a massive success and you're never sure which way it's going to go and I like that that's the kind of device that works quite well yeah. um, So, but having said that I watched this and I thought this is and I, 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 I always say this every week I hate saying this to our choosers of these shows but I think no not this episode again <laughs> you can go for a much more recent and, it, and I think the show got better and better and better yeah. and, and recent episodes were much zingier and much more, much more, much more, much more up to date and modern and current because they really work hard at keeping it current and moving on, moving it on. But having said that, it is a show about a bunch of bloke nerds being bloke nerds, and that, and as we did last week with um, Peep Show, it is a you know. That is what it is, but it is a very well written and performed. Lest we forget, show. the entire plot of this revolves around the ratio of a compression algorithm. Right. So, like, yeah. let's you know, and this is not sexy. And they, and unlike say the Big Bang Theory, which you know, kind of t- com- manages to make that stuff seem completely mainstream and accessible to its huge mainstream audience. This doesn't even bother no, with no, that. No, no, of course it doesn't. The, the, this is, no. And this is hugely popular in Silicon Valley amongst these people. They <laughs> love this sure shit. Because it's uncompromising use of all the jargon and everything. Yeah. So you kind of just let it, I just let it flow. I, I don't even understand what the oh, fuck's going no on. Oh, no idea. Yeah. yeah. But no idea. It's still, I think it is a, a really good show that I've loved. But this episode, but that, I would not have picked this episode. But that bothers me. Maybe okay. that's just a personality trope when I don't understand bits and I can't I can't just let it wash over me and mm. go with the flow. I, I find that even if you don't understand, for example, the and I can't even remember what it's called, but there's a, a specific scale by which they measure compression algorithms. I mean I obviously it helps that I'm kind of a nerd and I know what a compression algorithm is, but oh you know God. I don't I didn't I didn't know what that scale was, but I understood broadly speaking what they were saying in terms of compression and what they had achieved. And I kind of so This I, was fucking made for you. Yeah, what yeah. are you talking yeah, about? I, oh, I may have laughed. Okay. It says James who was probably doubled up for 30 minutes. No, 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 you know no, no, no. It, isn't, it wasn't that funny, this episode. Except, it was except. More, it was quite dramatic, but it wasn't that fun uh, in terms it of... It wasn't, know. except, and I don't know what this says about me, the bit that made me laugh was not... So there's a bit when they're in the hotel room and one of them proposes a mathematical formula for determining the amount of time it would take to, shall we say, pleasure every male member of the audience. Yeah, now, that set-piece scene was, I yeah. guess, why it was chosen, this, this episode was chosen. It can only assume. Is, but... There, are, I've seen that done before. You see, that's the only problem with that scene where people are kind of yeah. sorting out, you know, what would be like to jostle off, you know, numbers of people. <laughs> jostle off. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a bit that is you see done, you know. Yeah. And so I, I, it, I didn't even think that was that as funny as that it was the bit that made me laugh. Oh, the bit okay. me laugh made me laugh is when the socially awkward guy who's giving the presentation describes it in really vague terms, but does the hand motion when he's talking yeah, about that was it, fun, and fun. that made me laugh. So c- can we just get into detail here? So. How many times did you laugh? <laughs> Once. And did you laugh out loud? No, it was another. It was another <laughs> like that, like an exhalation of mirth. So you know, there was no, there was no belly laugh or guffawing. Uh, okay. So it was just that. So it, it passes on the technicality. So it just scrapes through. But honestly, it's like, is Silicon Valley funny? I couldn't tell you. Was this episode funny? Really not, not really. But it's well <laughs> really written and really. it did actually make really me laugh. So, really. you know, really. I will say that um, that Adam Snape does just about scrape through with this one. Well done, Adam. But, uh, yeah. We should probably try and do something next week that is not a group of blokes. No, okay, and funnily enough, uh, <laughs> next week's nomination comes from Ilan Preskovsky and his New Girl, oh. Season 4, Episode 5. I mean, Landline. some may say that New Girl is kind of is a, a yeah. fetishised version of male version <laughs> what, of female Manic Pixie human. Dream Girl. Yes, yes. I'm just saying, it's it's called New Girl. There's a girl in it, so it's no longer a bunch of guys talking about wanking each other <laughs> off. Very, I'm very enjoying how you're trying to get out of this on a technicality by going there's a girl in it a there's a girl in the title and b there's a girl in the program yeah yeah so it's all good hashtag feminism hashtag fuck the patriarchy right uh if you'd like to nominate your own female-led comedy for this uh for this section then do fire the series and episode name at me via twitter at james c dyer and i will add it to the mix Shall we get on to this week's news, which we will do live since I've not had a chance to look at anything. <laughs> do it live? We always do it live. Well, no, because normally one, I will I'm, have looked at no, stories okay. in advance. Yeah, you just forgot. I'm, I'm now, surprised you haven't seized upon the Joss Whedon. I'm looking at it now. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, the news Nevers. Of the Nevers, which I, whenever anyone says the Nevers, the Nevers I think the Nevers. Yeah, yeah I think Joss Whedon's Nevers, and I'm like, oh, good yeah. God. But... <laughs> I am very confused by this, but can you walk us through it? The quite Nevers. Dense. Quite ne- dense. The Nevers. The Nevers <laughs> is a, described as an epic science fiction drama gang of, about a gang of Victorian women with unusual abilities and they're on a mission to change the world. I mean, of course. Yeah. What, but, what else would a group of Victorian yeah, women with exactly. unusual abilities so be doing? I think it's going to be like a kind of, I don't know, like steampunky thing. Anyway, but the cast has been announced. As of yesterday, and it is pretty fucking impressive. It Olivia is. Williams. Yeah. James Norton. Yes. Nick Frost. Yes. Tom Riley. Yes. Ben Chaplin. Pip Torrens. Obviously, I'm now going down the <laughs> every single person. And the lead, which we which we talked about weeks and weeks ago, is Laura Donnelly, who's really good as well. So I'm I'm excited about the cast. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Joss Whedon's Nethers looking exciting. Yeah. Can't wait to see them. I mean, mainly because it's got two buffy writers on it. Let's Always. Be honest. Always. Um, so there was some there was some Walking Dead spin-off news. Sorry, Terry, did you instantly fall asleep? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've actually on. been ploughing through Fear the Walking Dead and continuing. It's, it's not improved. James, um, why you do this to you? Why you do this? Why you do this, why why you do this, this to, to yourself? yourself? <laughs> I'm not sure what was going on there. Uh, so there was a kind of a video teaser thing that showed kind of a trio of the show's stars uh, and they're talk- talking about leaving a safe world that they grew up in to find the truth about their world, which involves zombies and that's all i know so <laughs> that's gonna be walking dead spin off wow. another one and it's gonna have zombies in it there you go something you didn't know before um 
I want to talk about a lovely thing that the creators of Orange is the New Black did to coincide with the finale. Um, So this has got no spoilers in it about what happens in the finale if you haven't quite made it to the end. But there is a um, storyline within it which is about Tasty setting up um, this kind of fund for prisoners. And... At the end of the season, a kind of a blank card comes up and on it, it says it has a a telephone number, it has a URL, and it turns out that they have set up, in real life, the Pusey Washington Fund. Mm -hmm. As everybody knows, that is named after Samira Wiley's character who died in season four. And it is a crowdsourcing campaign to support criminal justice reform um, and immigrant rights charities with a particular focus on female prisoners. I think there's eight charities involved and all the money will be split. And I just think it's amazing. We talked when we reviewed the show about how they're kind of tackling ICE and what's happening with um, immigrants in America at the moment. Um, And there's always been a real political bent to this show. And I just think it's really lovely of them to go out in such a meaningful way. The end. The end. Yes. Guess what else happened? Something Amazon. not as important and entirely fictional and set in space. Oh, no, something very similar to what you're discussing. Oh, go on. Amazon made an announcement. They have officially renewed the expanse for a fifth oh. season. Yes! Belters, belters rejoice. Haven't even aired season four yet, and already, boom, there's a fifth season. Did you just coming. do boom and a finger click? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'd have done a fist pump, but this is an audio product. Uh, so that's the thing that's happening. James Wan, did you hear, is doing uh, an, an I Know What You Did Last Summer TV series. You're producing it. So that's a thing. That's a good idea. Yeah. That is a good okay. idea. I like that. Um, apparently, so this was this so this is going to be a TV treatment, but it was originally going to be a reboot film mm. uh, from Mike Flanagan. Hill, Haunting of Hill House, Mike Flanagan. And yeah. uh, Mike Dr. Flanagan. Sleep, Mike yeah. Flanagan. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So that's uh, that's the thing. Did you see the uh, announcement of details of the next Agatha Christie, Sarah Phelps um, uh, serial, The Pale Horse? They've announced the full cast. Rufus Sewell is in it. Yes. Caius Godelario off of Skins. Case Goddard. Case Goddard. Bertie Carvel off of Dr. Foster. Uh, Sean Pertwee is the detective character. Henry Lloyd Hughes out of Killing Eve. And many more. But the most exciting cast member is... Have you looked at it, the list, no. James? Oh. Rita Tushingham, the legend who was in A Taste of Honey way back when. Rita Tushingham, genuine acting legend, is in this Boy, I love your um, hark back to the days of old. Yeah. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and obviously this is uh, Genius Sarah Phelps' new show. She will be featuring the next issue of Pilot TV Magazine, by the way. Amazing. And um, yeah, it's always a treat. And it's this, the plot, by the way, this is all you need to know. The Pale Horse follows um, Mark Easterbrook as he tries to uncover the mystery of a list of names found in the shoe of a dead woman. Oh my God. I mean, it's going to be Rufus Saul. It's going to be Rufus Saul. If Rufus Saul is in this, he's the killer. Don't say that. It's true. It's Rufus Saul. Okay. It's probably Rufus Saul. It's definitely Rufus Saul. Okay. Uh, they, a little bit of news came out about The Continental, which is the John Wick spin-off series. It's going to be set way, way, way before the film, so it's a proper prequel thing. It's also looking like it won't now arrive until after John Wick Chapter 4, which is hmm. 2021. So we're going <laughs> to wow. have a bit of a wait for that okay. one. Um, so, you know, sorry. Anything else? No. No. I'm scrolling through news. That's enough news. That's enough news. Who needs more news? We've had more than enough news as it is anyway. So let's park news there and instead move on to 
a guest. We have a guest, two guests, in fact. So you'll have heard our review of I Am a few weeks ago, and you'll have heard us banging on about I Am Kirsty a few short minutes ago. So within, like, you've already seen the first two, the final instalment of this series, I Am Hannah, is on Channel 4 this Tuesday and stars Gemma Chan as well, Hannah, uh, a 30-something woman dealing with the horrors of modern dating and the pressures to find the one. Gemma and show creator Dominic Savage popped by for a chat about the episode this week, and this is how it went. Welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, Dominic Savage, Gemma Chan. The I Am series is in full flow at the moment. We've seen I Am Nicola, we've seen I Am Kirsty, and the last instalment, and my personal favourite, I Am Hannah, is on Tuesday night on Channel Four. So this is a an episode that you developed together. And I mean, it's an exceptional series, which anyone who follows me on Twitter will know I've been banging on about, but it's quite unusually made. How did that kind of come together? I think it was just, it was from a, a, a desire to make drama differently. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed making different kind of work, really, from the norm. Mm. Um, and I thought on this, it would be really nice to work actually with an actor from the beginning. So that so that there's, there's, this is what it's about. It's about a story that is going to be played by the actor that's the the, the lead, that is their story really. Something that, that the actor can literally inhabit in a unique and full way, and the process of of meeting and talking to actors. So in, in the case with with Gemma, we'd worked together before, mm-hmm. so we went through a process of just deciding on what we were going to do. Really, you know, we talked about a lot of things. And then we came we came to the conclusion this was the absolutely right story to tell, mm. um, an important story and something that's rarely told. Yeah, from, from my point of view, I was very keen to work with Dominic again and I was very excited when he approached me uh, to collaborate on this because it's very rare to be given that opportunity to mm. be part of that creative process from such an early stage and to say, right, what story do we want to tell? Uh, and also to completely centre a, a woman and a woman's experience is is unfortunately still quite a rare thing. True. Um, so that was really exciting and, and we, we started talking about what we wanted to say. Um, we, we talked about quite a few different ideas that started... You know, started from quite a different place uh, right. to where we ended up. Um, but I mean, I had from quite early on had an inkling that I wanted to do to do something around the idea of um, uh, the idea of the pressure on on women um, to settle down, to start a family. You know, whether or not women can or, or or can't start a family, and 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 the expectation that comes both from the external uh, kind of situation, but also from within. You're right. It is something that doesn't get talked about. Like the trope of the biological clock is something that turns up endlessly in TV and in film, but it's not normally handled in this way. You know, not not just sensitively, but kind of exploring the sort of the broader ramifications of choice, of kind of expectation. What was the the sort of... um, uh, the sort of watershed moment. What was the thing that sort of triggered this? Go Can on. I say yeah. what we talked about initially? Go on. Uh, or, or, which yeah. was Dominic's, more, uh, Dominic's idea at the beginning that it was going to be about a woman who wasn't in a settled relationship, but yeah. she was dead set on having a child. And then she uh, goes down the road of artificially inseminating herself and having a baby, mm. which I think would be incredibly interesting and a very valid story to tell. But I, I was more drawn to... Um, a kind of grey area. I wanted. I, I, was, I was drawn to the idea of playing someone who felt a bit more ambivalent about the whole thing. Who wasn't quite sure what she wanted. Maybe a bit linked to <laughs> some of my own feelings or mm. conversations that I've had uh, around that area with my friends. And and so we went sort of gradually went towards towards that direction. I mean, that's the beauty of working in this way: is that you start with this idea, but then working with 
uh, Gemma, it uh, evolved. It evolved into something that then became very important to her as well. And then obviously it's then about exploring it. And as we start to make it, different things come in and different ideas sort of occur to you as you're, as you're doing it. Um, and they are, they are provocative for us all, I think. I think these scenes that we embark upon provoke us and make us feel. And certainly um, uh, we felt a lot, didn't we, during the, mm. during the shoot? There's a lot of feelings going on. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, how you, it's how I love making work, really. Well, it comes across, doesn't it? Like there's a real sort of tangible sense of emotion on screen in all three of these episodes. Like it's mm. it's quite gut-churning. I mean, happily, this is not quite as traumatic as the previous one, for example. But still, there's a lot. There's so much emotion going on on screen. Mm. And is that, you know, partly drawn from the fact that it is very personal that you've helped to kind of create that and channeled some of yourself into this character? I think it's that's definitely part of it. I think it's also to do with the way that um, that Dominic works and, and the way he films. Mm. Um, it's it, I should say that that there is a, a broad story outline, um, but all the dialogue is improvised by the actors. So it's it feels very um, uh, immediate, um, unpredictable. Mm. Um, we shot it over ten days um, in a very intense period, and and you're completely immersed in it. And it's 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 kind of terrifying, but also very very freeing. Um, and and when it works, and I've I've watched the other two films as well. I think it, there's an incredible kind of raw emotional power to to to. Dominic's work and that's mm. really the beauty in, of it and why I love working with him You sort of get lost in it too, that's the other thing, it's, it's, it's an interesting thinking back to that two week shooting it was like it was so intense and so all encompassing and all it's like you're living it because mm. uh, we were feeling our way through it day by day yeah. as well and even though we knew roughly what had to happen like we knew that my character was going to go on a date and it wasn't going to end well but we didn't know exactly how we were going to get from a to b and i certainly didn't know that some of the things that happened were, were going to happen like one of the dates ended ended quite explosively yeah. um, and we did takes where it didn't end like that and then other ones that really kind of erupted um, and and actually you know that that was the beauty of it that we would do these very long takes and it would go differently each time we'd go back and reset and then say let's try it again and see what happens um, so it's very um, intuitive and very um, exploratory the process and I felt definitely by the end of the two weeks I felt like I'd lost a layer of skin I felt like my nerves were all on the outside I had to kind of go away from it for a bit and not speak to you for a bit right. and just kind of yeah put it to one side because it was it was yeah. very intense I mean you mentioned it being terrifying it sounds that and so much more yeah. I would imagine as an actor not being one well not since sixth form at school uh, <laughs> that there's some security to be found in knowing your lines and just just being yes. on it and knowing it and being prepared and I suppose nothing can really prepare you for a day of shooting something like this yeah and it has to come from you Gemma in -hmm. a way in a way that you know Minerva clearly doesn't (laughs) yes that's that's right I think when you have a script I mean not to say that when you have something scripted that it can't be emotionally truthful of course it can be um but but it is in some ways it's a safety net those are the words you're going to say and you're going to you know that's it whereas in in this work um you know everything's got to come from somewhere that feels very real mm. um, or not. Um, and if things don't work, you feel very exposed. Um, you've got to be able to feel, yeah, very open, but also, you know, completely um, silly and, and, and humiliated sometimes. And it, it's, it feels just very, very exposing, for lack of a better word. I mean, that sounds a lot like dating generally. So <laughs> that's quite true. true to life. <laughs> quite, yes, this does true. deal with, I mean, and 
there've been lots of books written on this subject, but sort of the the nature of modern dating, app based dating, is demoralising and awful, and just it's a hellish sort of conveyor belt of. Uh, you can tell I'm speaking from personal experience, but do you know what I mean. And I think that really comes across in some of these these encounters, like the one in the yeah. park, which lasts oh, all gosh. of five minutes. Yeah, and you're just like, I've never seen it, and thankfully I've not been on it. But that date has totally happened somewhere. I know someone who's had no. a similar experience to that. Yeah, so most of the, I've I've not gone through thank thankfully not gone through any of those <laughs> awful experiences that Hannah has gone through but I have heard I've heard really success successful stories as well we should say it's not all bad apparently some, apparently um, oh, oh gosh there are some real horror stories out there and that's the nature so you just don't really know yeah. you know what you're going to get and um, yeah you, I hope you see some of that reflected well, it was interesting because the um, in each case the 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 actors cast. I like I like the idea because I, I obviously spoke to them about their approach to it and all that, and I I just thought there, there was also something very surprising about what they were going to bring to it that you didn't know. That was the point, you know. You didn't they didn't Gemma didn't know what their angle was, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes something very almost combustible and interesting. That you that as it would be as well. That's exactly as it, as it would be on a, on a date. Whatever's been said leading up to it is not what it's going to actually be. It's going to be what it's going to be. So, yeah. And you don't, you can't predict it. And I think that, again, plays to the strength of working this way. Mm. You know, if that had been all kind of worked out to the T, to it wouldn't have had that that kind of energy about Danger. it. Danger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I should say that, so Dominic likes to keep it quite, um, you know, the people that I would have had pre-existing relationships with, I would have contact with before. So, for example, yeah. Sarah, who played my mum, uh, she and I corresponded beforehand and, and at least, you know, uh, marked out some, you know, biological facts of where we lived, um, what our relationship was like, relationship with grandmother and various things. So we had a framework yeah. before we went into it. Whereas the, the men that I went on these dates with, I met them as if for the first time <laughs> being filmed on a date. So it was very... It was important to keep them apart. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to keep us apart. <laughs> Don't speak to each other before we filmed. That's right, yeah. Um, so so that's 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 what I, I kind of I, I, I enjoy that actually you you there's a sense in which you're seeing something which which is it isn't documentary, we know that. Um it's it's drama, but it doesn't feel like it's all all kind of um it feels like you're watching real life as well. Yeah, there's a voyeurism to yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the lighting in particular helps that's so used all natural light in this. Yes. And that really right. comes across. Yeah. Really comes yeah. across. And handheld. Yeah. Hand-held yeah. Because yeah. because what I like is to keep the, the business of filmmaking as kind of minimal as possible. Because of course with that, I mean I I don't really like films where there are performances as such you, mm. know, you watch a film it's, I mean you know th- th- they have their place and it's, you can enjoy it but what I want is to feel is totally I believe this person I believe in this character uh, so, th- so the mechanisms of filmmaking all inter- interfere with that you know because there's process and there's takes and retakes and, and lighting and this and fuss and you know and that for me is just a death to creativity yeah. I mean it, it isn't obviously always but um uh, but I just enjoy this absolutely visceral edge, edginess that comes with this process. Mm. It was really refreshing for me for coming coming from doing uh, quite uh, the, the production that I was on, being you know hundreds of people there. I couldn't hope to remember you know every <laughs> single person's name because there are hundreds. Marvel movie, yes. Uh, yes. yeah, and, and you know green screen and um, you know everything being so fragmented to to really going to the other end of the scale to having just the bare minimum of crew, barely any kind of you know hair and makeup or no artificial lighting and and just yeah working with the other actor with with Dominic and just you know keeping it very very low key and um, yeah I absolutely. Loved it. 
And what, I mean, what extent, you mentioned there's an outline to the scene. Is it literally just, they meet in a date, they're in the park, it doesn't go well? Like, is it how much <laughs> not, detail is, not is quite in like it? That. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the, what I tend to do, what I like to do is put as much, you know, it's a, it's, it's a document that's for the actor, really. It's not for anyone else. Mm. So where I think that, they're, that it's giving too much and I don't want to overdo what what what's going to happen then i'll keep it really really minimal other times it's it's important to kind of describe as much as possible as 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 it's almost like a a document of hope as well and and i sometimes see i do see the the things that i write in a scene as as pro- provocations yeah. there's mm. many little ideas there that we can take or not can use or not but we you know the the story is very is very important the narrative is very important the kind of the way in which it progresses and all that stuff is there but mm. what i don't want to do i, I don't want to limit the scenes that's mm. the point i think writing can you know in some ways can enable but also limit whereas uh so 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 yes it's detailed when it needs to be but not when I, when i when i think it's going to actually over impose on on what the actor is, is going through and mm-hmm. and yet the dialogue really lands. There's a particular scene when you're having drinks with a friend and Hannah's saying that, uh, you know, so many people she knows settles for just the next guy they see because they just want to have kids and she's not prepared to do that. But then the, sort of the mm. addendum to that, but she's terrified of fucking it up. Mm. And there's like, it's it's very, very, I mean, it really, really sings. Oh, thank you. I, I can barely remember saying that. It was, <laughs> I was just, yeah, it came, I think, in the midst of a very intense day and, and uh, I, it clearly came bursting out of somewhere. Um, well, it was the, it was the thing. This this is the beauty again of working this way is that when you get to a point where you know the moment is right, where as you say rightly, we've been going through a lot of stuff, and and mm. suddenly it feels like some of the kind of really core elements of of uh, of the of, of the film. You know, I always want it to come out in the way that's right and appropriate and real and, and you know, in, in terms of the filming process. And it felt like this is, this is, this is it. This is the moment. And in talking with her friend on the sofa, it felt like the, the conditions mm. were perfect. Mm. Yeah. So we pushed that envelope uh, um, yeah. at that point. And, and Gemma was in just in that right place. And, and, and it flowed in a, in a, in a, in a really interesting and, and and totally centered way, um, yeah. And that's again, you know, you 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 try to write all that down. It becomes a performance. It's yeah. a performance. Yeah. You know, but that was... no, it definitely came from you know where my character was, and you know, having been so immersed in her for however many days of filming, and and it just came from that emotional need to express her frustration. Mm. Um, and that was really all that I wanted from this. That you know, that I I just really hoped that everything that we did, as much as possible, that I would be completely in the moment I didn't want anything I did to feel kind of you know a performance I wanted it to feel very truthful Um, so I hope I hope we succeeded there. Well, that I mean, and that speech feels like the spine of the story, doesn't it? That's ultimately, and I think that's an it's an existential issue that I think a lot of people face. Yeah, and not just age. for women as well. Not just women, I, I no. should say, I think men experience these the, these pressures in a slightly different way. Maybe the, the biological clock is not quite that mm. doesn't give that same pressure, but definitely I know men who are just as kind of you know worried and anxious about their life choices. It's not easy, and there's definitely not just not just one way to do things either. And we're we're kind of grappling with with that choice and. and and fear of future regret, I think, mm. is a huge thing. I, I have that massively. Oh, gosh, yeah, I trying mean, to predict what you're going to regret least <laughs> in the future. Absolutely, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it does, and I think there's there's so much social pressure, you know, of what is expected of you that somehow that if you're a woman and you're approaching 
you're 40 and you don't have children, that you have, quote-unquote, failed somehow. Or, you you know, you have not completed the game that is life. <laughs> and it's just, it's so absurd. It is absurd. Mm. It is absurd. I mean, I think it's it's wonderful now that we we do have more choice. Mm. And in, in the way that maybe previous generations, just it just wasn't even remote. You really would be considered a, a freak if you didn't conform. Yeah. Um, whereas now we're, we're still adjusting. But, um, you know, there was also that, that research quite recently about the fact that uh, single childless women rank very highly on the happiness scale, which I yeah. thought was great. But it was interesting how many people kind of got defensive about that well, or refused to believe it. Married <laughs> couples were really low, weren't they? Really like, low, I like... know. But then again, but you, but I know many, many happy married, happily married couples as well. So I think the main thing for me, the takeaway from doing this and from watching the other two stories was that we should try and be a lot less uh, judgmental about other people's life choices and someone else's life choice is not a reflection on our own happiness um you know we can get quite funny about the fact that if we see someone else they've chosen something different they seem to be happy but that that means i can't be happy but Mm. it's not true it's not a not a zero-sum game we can all there are many different ways to live your life and we should be a bit more forgiving of our of others and ourselves yeah like there's a scene with hannah and her friend who's just had a baby which is quite resonant and and Mm. i was just thinking oh Terrible, smug, baby ball. Hater, get new friends. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, just about the actors playing it. But there are, but it's it's a person. That's a type yeah. of person I mean, the, who are very again the, proud of themselves. The beauty of that is it comes from an absolutely genuine and real place. Yeah, mm. that, that, the, the actor playing that—that's her baby. She's yeah. a mother. She genuinely felt that way, you know. And and I, that's what I loved about it is that the and that's what you responded to as well. That actually she had found something, you know. And she might have been cynical before, but suddenly, suddenly having this mm. baby had made some genuinely made given her something that she'd never expected to feel. And I like that. That was something that was that wasn't manufactured, you know. Although there's, there's an example actually with the script. I I wanted that to be the case. I wanted it to be a, a um, something that Hannah was experiencing and and feeling stuff from because it was genuine when you watch it back when you look at it i mean do you does it feel different to watching other stuff you've done like do you see more of yourself in this if i'm being completely honest the first time that i watched this back i i almost couldn't bear to watch it it was it felt so um i I mean i haven't i've I should say that from from the first time I I, I acted professionally, I, I I don't love watching my stuff back anyway. I'm, I always mm. can see things. Oh God, why did I make that choice? Because I done something differently. But with this one in particular, it felt really strange because because there wasn't a script and it had been kind of a slightly feverish. Um, period of time and we that we made it it was almost as if someone had recorded your voice without you realizing and then playing it back and you're like, did I really say that like I couldn't quite remember yeah. I had a vague idea of what we did but not the, not the specifics so it felt really strange watching it back and um it took the kind of the second time watching it through to be able to kind of be a bit more comfortable and, and actually almost you know engage with it a bit more and enjoy uh, certain aspects of it but it felt it felt very um yeah, it's very, quite voyeuristic, the feel of it. I felt that with mm. the others as well. But when it's yourself, it's very strange. Yeah. It, yeah. It, feel, it does feel very... Well, also because the is it the first scene is shot in the Regent's Park Rose Garden, isn't it? Yes. Which I recognise very well from yeah. walking from the station. <laughs> I was like, I know where that is and I know that bench. Uh, but there is, there's a real... Sort Have of, you sat on that bench? Yeah. Just, just in honour of the film? Yeah. Well, of course, naturally. <laughs> Sit there, read the inscription. Did you read the real inscription? It was the real was inscription. It? Did just, you yeah, find that bench? Just oh, I see. I was being directed to all that bench. Right. I mean, this is what I love about it. Again, all of it feels slightly like fate as well. Mm. The right things happen in a way that you've not dictated it should happen, but it happens because you've put elements in place with with, with lots of different kind of elements in place with the hope that something's going to be, be provoked by it. And mm. and if it does, it's great. If it doesn't, 
there's something else will happen that that you've also sort of semi decided but not absolutely as well because you know in choosing where you shoot as well it's really really quite really important actually mm. as to what that does to the actors what that what what the feeling is in that you know and that mm. rose garden was chosen because there is a sense of a kind of very cliched sense of romance with roses and sort of slight beauty about it sort of you know and there's there's something that that's that the atmosphere of it is dictating in some ways how that scene might play out and and actually there was something really precious about it i thought you know there was something that, that didn't that did affect you you mm. know that's what i loved about it mm. yeah i got over my initial thought because this is a bit cheesy because you presumably have to get up to being comfortable in this character's skin well i mean which scene was there a particular scene that you found difficult i mean i'm wondering whether it was for example the there's one where you're dancing in the apartment and mm. personally i would have died if i had to do that <laughs> but i don't know perhaps you told it far better uh i was uh, aided by a couple of glasses of wine so, so not, not just a prop not just a prop <laughs> not just a prop um that was that was real wine wasn't that it? was it was real wine i said <laughs> i need real wine for this scene um I, what did I find? I suppose that the scenes I found, well, that we found trickier were ones that were, there were scenes where it seemed we, we found quite quickly the way, the, the feel for them um, mm. and how they should go. Um, and it was the scenes where it wasn't quite so obvious uh, and there were many different ways that you could play them were, were tougher because, you know, we could have done them many different ways. Um, and we had we had lots of late night conversations about why we felt it wasn't quite there and and just ways, and we, and we were just talking all the time throughout the mm. shoot about, you know, because you're trying things all day, and it's at the end of the day, we're very, very tired. But at the same time, you 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 know that there's something that you haven't quite got to with, and so you just want to find a way that to 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 resolve it that's going to be satisfying and uh, where you haven't, you know, because you say rightly, yeah, some things just really flow, and it's or, or they just or they're. they're well, you don't quite know what they are, but there's something about them that that you just feel, yeah, we've we've achieved something there. Mm. Um, but but other scenes which which are just a bit more challenging and and you know for some reason don't quite come alight, and then but you always find a way where they do because mm -hmm. you keep trying, and that that's you wouldn't do that with normal with normal drama making. You, it is what it is. You move on. Yeah. Thank you. You know, but with this, you can always revisit and try again, try mm -hmm. differently. You know, and it's um it's a proper organic journey. And is this something that you will revisit? Like we've had three episodes of this. Is there a plan to do more? Do you feel that you've done or achieved what you set out to achieve with Never this? Done. Never done. Never done. Always a work just in progress. Keep, just keep going. I mean, I just want to. I just keep wanting to make work in a way that is that is that feels it has an importance to an audience as well. That 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 these and what I felt what I've been most satisfied is there's a sense in which they are connecting and. And, and making people feel that they are not alone in what they're experiencing, mm. that they can see these films and they feel a resonance with them. There's a truth to them and a resonance that makes them say, well, yeah, I, I know that. I know this what this is. And there is some way through it. There is a way out. Because mm. they're all about a change within each character, that a change for the better, ultimately. So that's, that's, that's the work I keep wanting to make, really. So it's, it's ongoing. Fantastic. Well, Dominic Savage, Gemma Chan, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks. That was Gemma Chan and Dominic Savage, and you can catch the excellent I Am Hannah on Channel 4 on Tuesday night at 10pm. Do not miss it. On now to this week's reviews, and first up is, oh yes, Euphoria. Now, looking forward to might not be the term for this one, but we've certainly been 
anticipating this for quite a while now, since it debuted in the US in June. Dubbed The American Skins, this is an ensemble teen drama from Sam Levinson, which is fronted and narrated by Zendaya. Uh, it's actually based on an Israeli series of the same name and follows a group of, uh, of high schoolers. But unlike most TV teen shows, this is awash with graphic sex, drugs, trauma, cocks, and basically all the things that the dad in 10 Things I Hate About You was trying to warn Julia Stiles about. Um, so to say you shouldn't watch this on public transport, a fact, I might add, that I learned to my peril, <laughs> is something of an understatement. Isn't that right, Boyd? Yes. Also not to be watched in the office, really, because really? like, my yeah. desk, where I'm at, people are wandering past me all the time. So I'm watching it and there's a scene where the dude's in the shower at school and there's literally Is that the 30, 30 people, bloke, naked guys, <laughs> teenagers wandering around with their dicks out. Um among other moments, there's also a huge number of erect penises, which is very rare yeah. for any TV show. But are, they, are we saying they're pros- prosthetics? Well, they are, there's definitely a prosthetic one in episode one. In, yeah, which in, is in a picture, a, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But the, most of them are admittedly shown as like on people's pictures on their phones. Disembodied. So disembodied. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But still, you don't see them You don't see them in, in situ. You don't see no. them off, you don't see in situ, so to speak. No, exactly. I'm not saying that there's loads of actors getting getting their erect penises out. But there's an image, as an image, a Recurring image that does happen throughout the series, interestingly, and I think that's part of the whole conception of this from um, the creator, um, Sam Levinson, which is that it's partly about porn culture mm. and that the influence that has on all these, these young people these days, because yes. it is absolutely the case yeah. that teenagers can access proper hardcore pornography with erect penises and everything. <laughs> I and, mean, <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, it's not just there to shock. And I think this is the case that there are scenes, including the famous 30 penis scene, which is the beginning of episode two, which are shocking in many ways. But I do think there is, a, they're, they're not gratuitous because mm. it's part of the whole conception of the piece. And I think what is incredible at the show, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I know it's been, it's lots of elements of it that are controversial, but what I do think it's a properly authentic look at the current state of teenage life when it comes to sex and relationships and drugs and, and the issues there. Now, you might say, well, how the fuck do I know? But I vaguely do know some people, some young people in this country. <laughs> I know the young people. I vaguely you, know the young boy, people. Boy, you are the dad from 10 Things I Hate but About You. It certainly you. comes across to me as addressing what it's actually like. And that is really rare because I think. You know, there's lots of shows with te- featuring teenage life that kind of, when it finally comes down to it, they've, they've got to shy away from it a bit. They don't mm. want to get, the, but this doesn't shy away from well, anything. I think the, sorry, and, sorry, but what's even more important is that the characters that it's built around, Zendaya is the main character, mm. Rue, who is a recovering drug addict. At the beginning, she she comes out of rehab, etc. Yeah. She's such an involving, engaging incredibly acted character and she narrates the whole thing and interestingly she narrates everyone else's story mm. as well as her own which I found a, a, an interesting device she is in, she, she is a fantastic character brilliant performance her best friend who she meets in the first episode and they go on to have a really interesting friendship um, is a, also Hunter Schaefer brilliant performance as Jules she's incredible mm. and and the main dude character, who's this teenage guy, who's the son of this horrendous guy who owns everything in the local town, Eric Dane, Eric Dane, who we see in the first episode, um, having committing statutory rape because he's having a, he has sex with an underage girl, and his son is trans girl, trans girl, and his mm. son is incredibly troubled because he went and looked at his, his dad's porn collection and all he has all these issues because of toxic masculinity, etc. His character is unbelievably fascinating and much more intriguing and de- layer textured than the usual jock figure. 
I've seen four episodes and I think it gets better and better and better. And I do think it's a brilliant show. I think I almost think in America, I read the reviews in America and they almost like got obsessed with the shock elements of it. And that's fair enough because they are pretty ama- unusual and amazing. But as a, as a show with really well-drawn characters, fascinating mm. um, subject matter, really interesting dialogue and believable dialogue. And episode four, which is this, which is almost like a set piece set in the fairground where all the characters kind of come together and big revelations occur and it's really disturbing it's almost like a horror film is incredible hour of tv and i think it's a brilliant show see i what i think is interesting about this is that the shock value for me is not like what's shocking is not what they've done with the tv show what's shocking is this is the world that teenagers now live in and that this is a realistic depiction of what they have to encounter and you know at the risk of sounding wildly out of touch which of course i am is you know the normalization and ubiquity of drug use and the fact that as you say, porn culture has has permeated the psyche to such an extent. And I thought the most disturbing scene in the first episode, and a very upsetting scene, is one where it's at a party and the guy and the girl are about to have sex and then they start having sex and he's choking her. And Rue essentially pauses the video and says, like, before you know, before you comment on this, it's not that he's a bad guy, but you need to understand the world we live in. And she shows you, this is what men's idea of sex is. And she shows you a very quick cut montage of scenes of degradation and misogyny from male led pornography, which is horrific. And so is it any wonder that these sort of young men whose only real, you know, visual understanding of sex has come from this kind of pornography think that it's okay to be choking a girl out during sex? Like it's absolutely obscene and I love the fact that this show doesn't shy away from that and just faces it head on and says look this is a serious fucking issue and this is the kind of stuff that goes on you know and kids will recognise this fact and hopefully you know help contextualise it but also for those you know old bald white men such as ourselves we can be fucking horrified by it I, in fact, I watched you watching this scene in the office. The expression on your face when you were watching it, you looked as horrified as I felt when I saw it. But you're right, because that that is really one of the most kind of, I suppose, on-the-nose moments when you realise what they're doing in terms of taking apart teen culture and taking apart teen dynamics and, and what has led to the kind of... Some of the breakdown, I think, between girls and boys and what you see from that whole porn setup is... The expectations placed on both boys and girls because actually he's like, oh, fuck, well, I mm. thought you probably liked it. Yeah. And then she she becomes quite compliant and you realise that actually what you see set up in porn, as you rightly say, is kind of a submission of the woman and this kind of dominance and physical dominance and violence of men. But I, I agree with you in that I think the way it kind of tackles everything, you've got addiction, you've got porn, you've got body image, you've got slut shaming, you've got trauma. It isn't... I kept thinking about 13 Reasons Why and actually why it did everything so much better than 13 Reasons Mm. Why. It's very frank, it's shocking in moments, but it's not trying to shock. It's Mm. not trying to have these moments where you're like, holy fuck, what just happened? And parents are like wringing their hands. It felt like a necessary... Every single moment when you're shocked, it is making a fundamentally important point. And actually, they do it with real sensitivity, just with real honesty. So, I mean, but it's so bold creatively. It opens on this incredible monologue of her being born. And you're like, what the f- I yeah. haven't seen anything like that what in telly. Yeah. And she describes coming out of her, being crushed by her mother's cervix on the way out of mm. the birth canal. And at that point, you're like, we're not in fucking Kansas anymore, Toto. Like, this is a yeah. different thing. And it yeah. is sexy in parts. It's soapy in parts. It's explicit. It's so stylized. 
but it is not without substance at all. And I think it doesn't take the easy path on any of it. I thought what was really interesting is how they looked at addiction. So she is post-rehab. It'd be really easy just to dismiss her as a druggy kid who, you know, has this privileged life and what does she really know? And there's an amazing, again, a monologue from her where she's talking about how she feels when she's on drugs and kind of, and it's not even, and it sounds in the wrong hands, it could have sounded like almost like suicidal ideation. But what you realise she's after and she's hunting for is absence and safety in the absence and just kind of an escape from the reality because she's felt like she's been unhappy her entire life. And I actually thought the the way they described addiction and why kids seek escape like that was unlike anything I'd ever heard. I mm. can't remember it ever being framed in those terms, which kind of makes you a really invested in her. I agree with you, Boyd. She's so compelling as a character. Mm. Like Zendaya is fucking, it's like she was made mm. for this role. Mm. You're yeah. like, why were you in that Spider-Man film again? <laughs> because suddenly yeah. you're like... Yeah. But so I just think it has such an interesting perspective on everything, whether it is statutory rape, whether it's sexual assault. There is no kind of clear cut path through anything. And as you said, there was a moment where I was like, fuck me, I'm old. But, and, but there is this sense of authenticity mm. and almost voyeurism on our part. As an adult watching it, you're like, oh my God, is this what kids today are really battling through mm. this trauma that they're living with and this kind of the the demands and um, that modern society particularly put on them that we necessarily didn't have put yeah, on those. Absolutely. I yeah. just think it's, yeah, yeah I think it's the brilliant. The other incredible overriding thing I think is privacy, is the lack of privacy. Yes. Yeah. And I think that really came home to me because I was thinking, you know, when I, I know, how, I, obviously, as we've said at the beginning, how white and privileged we, <laughs> us two are, yes. particularly middle class, <laughs> but, and I had a very, you know, easy time with things and everything, but, you always have, no matter what happens to you, but back back in the day, you always had your privacy effectively. Yes. And it was never even, you never even thought about yeah. it. These people and everything that happens to them is being filmed yeah. so by the, their people on the The guy who's phones. shagging the yes. guy in the swimming pool to make yes. a boyfriend jealous. And there's three guys, fucking perverts, filming art yeah. on their phones. Yeah. Because of course they are. Yeah. And even, it deals, there's a there's a brilliant bit where it deals with um, like revenge porn or, or just, yeah. and it's yes. dealt with it like, yeah. And you think, oh, this is going to be an ongoing. It's kind of dealt with almost much of fatly, but so much more re- believably, I thought, because it's such yeah. a common occurrence now. That it, it, but it, as you say, it's be- incredibly beautifully made. There's a thing, I think it's in episode two, where one character, and I won't spoil it, so one male character um, has an online phone text relationship with a f- another cat- female character. And this plays out in this incredible sequence where, the- and it's kind of cut- splits the screen and they're texting at-, at each other. And it's honestly, I've never seen anything like it because you see all kinds of re- visual representations of texting these days. And they're normally shit, right? And they're normally shit. Yeah. This is so amazingly done. And it's so clever how, you know, the pauses between someone thinking, oh, what shall I say now? Mm. And you have to keep the, keep the speed of the conversation going. These pressures on these people oh my mm. god it is kind of it is uh, it is like a nightmare in some ways mm. and yet it's so brilliantly done and there is so, there's there's brilliant humor there's brilliant that it it's a it's a kind of remarkable thing that it that it is addressing all of these things yeah. in such an incredibly believable but yet entertaining and brilliantly done way. this this feels almost like a natural evolution of eighth grade did you see eighth grade yes. yeah. like eighth grade doesn't have this hypersexualized element because it takes place at a slightly younger age bracket but it showed what it's like to be a kind of like a teenager or whatever mm. that sort of as so you go in between 10 and 13 you know coming into the digital world and being immersed with social media and lack of privacy and all of these things and that frankly was just discombobulating and to go from that and then saying oh my god and then when you layer in you know sexuality and porn culture and full adolescence it's like 
Yeah. Fuck me, I'm glad to be a lot older and not having to deal with this shit. I'm glad the internet wasn't around when I was, you know, a kid, mm-hmm. is all I'm saying. What, yeah. Whatever, granddad. Yes. So... <laughs> Watch it for the uh, watch it for the social commentary. Watch it for the verisimilitude. Watch it for the sea of erect penises. Uh, <laughs> but do watch it. It is Euphoria, and it airs here on Sky Atlantic on Tuesday, August the sixth at ten p.m. Uh, next up in our rehab sequence is <laughs> This Way Up. <laughs> this is a new comedy written by and starring Ashton B as a woman fresh out of rehab uh, who's trying desperately to get her shit together. It co-stars Sharon Horgan as her slightly more together sister and this lands on Channel 4 this Thursday. Terry, this sounds like something that would have absolutely floated your boat. <laughs> um, it did in the main. Um, as you say, it is also a post-rehab story but this um, is slightly different in that she was in rehab for a nervous breakdown which is essentially what they kind of agree she was in for starts really hilariously they're at the reception desk and you think they're checking out of a hotel yeah. and it turns out they're moaning <laughs> that there's no jacuzzi like there was on the website and it turns out they're in a rehab centre um, so I, I will say Ashling B and Sharon Hogan have amazing chemistry you really can believe they're sisters they have a really brilliant intimacy the timing between them the delivery they work beautifully together there are some lovely details in the right of this and I think Ashling B has done an amazing job she's a teacher and there's an amazing scene where she's using the Kardashians <laughs> yeah, to yeah. teach them English and it's just the, the very you they don't explicitly say at any point I'm now going to use the Kardashians but you gather from the rhythm of the scene what she's doing and it's just beautifully understated and played it felt I suppose my only thing is and I've only seen the first episode and they are only 30 minute episodes is it felt a little slight to me and it felt a little thin and I think the first episode maybe because it's got so much establishing work to do it really relies heavily on the humour more than anything mm. there's one particular scene that I won't ruin but it's it, it's in a bathroom and it starts out flipping and it ends up quite heartbreaking and that I got quite excited by that Misery, Not way, but it, 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 I was like oh I, I kind of get tonally where this is settling down to which is this this kind of pathos and this heartbreak really at the heart of what is kind of at many points it is reliant very heavily on comedy and on mm. the kind of um, interactions between them and it's essentially a story of a woman trying to make sense of the absolute messiness of life um and that really really comes across and you really you're really compelled by her immediately you're really invested in her and want her to be okay it's an amazing kind of um oh god please don't do it almost sex scene which is hilarious there's like lots of little amazing scenes i kind of left at the end of it feeling a little bit underwhelmed and as i say that may be because I need to watch more episodes and I'll get fully into the rhythm of it. I think it's got amazing promise. I do think it's really funny. I think the writing's great. I just didn't absolutely love it. I have lucky, I'm lucky enough to have seen four episodes. Mm. And I think, uh, I'm taking on board everything you said, I do think it does get more and more confident and um and, and the tone becomes more emphatic yes and the storylines envelop you is that a word as it goes on so for example um there's a relationship that unfolds between her and this guy um played by tobias menzies who's in mourning for his wife yes and um their the, the little son who's this little french boy who's adorable and she ends up being his private tutor and that the way that plays out adds a whole new element to the thing which is really brilliantly done it's just it's kind of i hate using the word sweet but it is sweet and yet 
it not it's not cloying and sentimental. It's fantastically observed that thing that goes on. Her students come into it more. In episode two, there's a great storyline about one of the students that that that, get, that touches upon Brexit, and you know, without and all this sounds like it sounds like slightly clumsy. It does deal with things mm. very very entertainingly and amusingly, but but poignantly as well and then when you see more and more of her life and, and particularly and her and Sean Horgan together it, those scenes every single one is spectacular and incredibly funny they do a performance of zombie huh. <laughs> <laughs> the cranberries the cranberries zombie <laughs> which is fucking incredible um so I think and she said I think in interviews she said um Ashley Mead said she got more confident as she was writing this mm. so by the time she gets to mm. five and six she says oh you know I, they're much better than one two one and two She's very aware of that. But I, I think it's a really special thing mm. in the end. And I think it's up there with all the best, you know, comedies we've talked about in recent times. It's beautifully filmed, you know, again, it's got a real atmosphere to it. I think London uses London locations really well. There's a kind of glowing neon-y thing going on. Um, and really interesting choices. Like the scene, you know, in the very first thing you talked about, you think they're checking out the hotel. Yeah. And there's a shot where Sh- uh, Sharon Horgan's in focus and actually means totally out of focus. So that was a really clever thing of kind of commenting on how she's kind of a fuzzy almost moment and she doesn't really know what's happening mm. to herself there's little moments like that i think it's a really ambitious thing and i think there's honesty to it that, that is that is excellent so i i love it i think it's brilliant i thought it was great as well actually i i i, I you can tell the first episode is still finding its feet but that's that's the case for a great number of of, of first episodes how many did you watch just the first one, just the one. It just yeah, felt, but... i think it's tent- tentative when you were saying then yeah. about it growing in confidence mm. i can see that because it felt yeah. when it was edging towards those interesting bits of tone it almost kind of yeah, pulled maybe, back yeah. it, it sh- that scene i'm talking about it cuts out of it very quickly mm. after it kind of shifts yeah. in tone it's um, trying to establish some more yeah. yeah no i'm definitely going to watch more of this i love it i love the fact that knowing that the part of shannon was written for sharon horgan i think that comes across yes. really clearly and sometimes like it was it's it's as i think uh ashton b said that she was trying to write it so that it's sharon but also not lean too much into the catastrophe sharon who's i think slightly more abrasive and yes. self-centered and in this she comes across and it's weird trying to reconcile it like in this she comes across as you know much more empathetic and sort of caring as, as the older sister who actually has it together. But I, I thought she was, a, as a character, uh, that B's character is a kind of like a, a, a sort of a lovable fuck-up slash hot mess kind of person. Like, really, really, oh. really worked. What? Oh, God, all that hot mess stuff. See, this is my only thing, right? You, 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 you oh, press the button, you wrong. I should never you have said hot, hot mess. mess button. You idiot. <laughs> this is my only thing, right? Is, yeah. is people are all going to say this, right? They're going to go, oh, it's the new flea bag. Oh, it's the new... <laughs> game face oh it's the new you know woman who's a mess trying to make up make it out of her lads oh she's a hot mess <laughs> like <laughs> that, sorry, I'm just gonna I was like don't say those words James sorry. That, I, I, and I kind of feel like those shows have all such difference between them and I you know it, it, <laughs> no I know what you're saying Can I, you heard, know what I'm saying yeah, I heard a critic who I'm not gonna name this week on the radio. Boyd Hilton. No. Talking about how this is yet kind of complaining that this another. is the late another show showing women in, in who are whatever you want to call them, hot messes, or not showing them in the most positive light. And I thought it was such a... And I'm not saying this about your part. But Thank you, Boyd. That was such <laughs> Thank a lame, you. I thought that was such a lame point because this is different. And we've already said how game face. She's not a yeah. hot mess. She's, but I also I think this is dealing with a very specific issue, which is loneliness. Yes. And her breakdown 
what happened because well, you'll find out more about that. You meet her ex and all of that, but it's she is feeling lonely and alone as opposed to her, you know, more successful etc. Sister who's got you know lavish apartment, boyfriend, everything, and that is a thing you don't see explored very often. No. That's not explored in any of these other shows we've mm. talked about. It's a thing that that is a big theme of this show, and that's a, new, a unique thing. And you don't have to be a hot mess to feel lonely. And I think loneliness is an incredibly common feeling among men and women, yeah. and that's what this is dealing with a lot. But do you just feel people feel there's a flux of yes, these women, right? Because because women have been represented in an idealised way on screen for generations. Yeah. And then suddenly you go, oh, let's have an honest conversation about what it's like to be a woman, about fertility, about loneliness, about drinking, about sexual promiscuity, whatever it is, right? And about depression and all these things. And suddenly you lift the lid and women start to feel empowered to tell their stories. Then one goes, oh, put the lid back on. We don't want another hot mess popping up. Even though, to your point, each one of those shows and each one of those female characters is actually entirely different. It's yeah. just a woman who doesn't have her shit together. Fucking spoiler alert, mates. Women don't have their shit together quite a bit of the time. And they're all comedies. In the history of comedy... All comedies are about people who don't have their shit together. Yeah. Of course they are. And it's if also a vehicle of truth. Who, you don't do all the comedies with blokes who don't have their shit together. We've forgotten all those. If you have a program of comedies about people who do have their shit together, successful people who never have issues in their life, no one's going to watch any of that. So it's an intrinsically stupid point. Comedy history is full of men who don't have their yes. shit together. Life is full of men yes. who don't have That's a different point. <laughs> Carry on. Oh, Sorry, James. Okay. <laughs> it's possible that got around. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an example of why you should always choose your words very carefully around Terry White. Uh, I was in no way implying that this was like all the other shows. At no point did you hear me say the new flea bag. Uh, no, it's a thing in and of its own self. It and was hot mess. Yes, yes. It's such a reductive phrase. <laughs> hot mess. I, okay, what I, does it even mean? I redact the term hot mess. <laughs> oh, she's a hot mess. And I'll tell Retract, you what. You, mean. you I, can't redact it. It's too late for that. And I tell you what, the term hot mess is only ever used about women. Uh, when was the last time you said hot mess about Chris Hewitt from Empire. Just for example. <laughs> Let's take that term back. I'm reclaiming the term hot mess. It is no longer about women. It is not gendered. This is an all-purpose term. Oh, amazing. We should get, we should, you know, boy, we'll get t-shirts made. Pilot yeah. TV t-shirts to say, I am a hot mess. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Let's do it. Oh we'll take God. him to the live show when we do it, which incidentally will be happening at the King's Place of London Podcast Festival <laughs> on Friday, the 13th of September of this year. Book your tickets now. Um, we'll do our best to get that merch available for that time. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that was This Way Up, the new show from Ashton B. And that is on Channel 4 on Thursday, August the 8th at 10pm. If you are going to watch it, please don't do it with Terry or it will end badly for you. Um, lastly, this week, we have Glow or Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, <laughs> uh, which enters its third and final season this week. Uh, for those not already watching, this is a fictionalised series set in the 80s around the eponymous women's wrestling circuit. Ruth Wilder a.k.a. Zoya the Destroyer. A, she's, I think she's originally a struggling actress who ends up auditioning for Glow instead. That's what I'm led to believe. Correct. But I've never watched this show before. I've always meant to, but it's kind of passed me by. However, late to the party I may be, but I have you know, turned up. So uh, I did watch this particular <laughs> well episode. You. But yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I made the effort. Uh, but rather than hear me talk about a show that, let's be honest, I don't really know anything about other than having seen this episode, let's hear it from Boyd, who I'm almost certain will have been there for the whole journey. Well, 
I did watch season one, and the very first scene is when um, Alison Regis said she she's auditioning for a proper thing. Yeah, <laughs> and her agent, and she she doesn't get it. She's furious, and she begs her agent for anything. And her agent's like, "Will you do like you know soft porn, <laughs> or will you do or will you do maybe like wrestling? This wrestling weird wrestling thing they're setting up." Um, it was a great premise, and um, I very much enjoyed season one. I have to say, I, but I did not tune into season two because. Even though it was a great premise, and it's an entertaining, well-written, mm. well-performed mm. show, there's something uncompelling about it. It's really boring. You could say that. Yes. I, I, this is my, okay. my reaction to it. Well, I didn't find it really boring, but I clearly didn't find it exciting yeah. or compelling enough to watch season two. I'm now back to season three, and I thought this was a quite effective return because it begins with it uses the challenger disaster it does. and i say uses i mean it literally uses this real life space disaster and footage the, the archival and footage, footage which some may say i don't know you know too soon i, I was know. surprised they did that i was actually. surprised as well mm. and they do make quite blackly comic jokes about it um and that was a good device i mean it's a device yeah. as a way back into the series and you have to kind of catch up with the various interrelationships and you know who's taking over the running of the show so a lot of it is about the politics of you know this is a women's wrestling group but men run it you know a man played by mark maron you know produces it and directs it um and then you know another man wants to take over it so there's a lot of that which is interesting um but the fundamental issue is it's too languid the storytelling and and i was comparing it to again highlighting how good this way up is in fact all of these current channel Four game face all these shows forgetting the whole thing we're talking about just now the issue they're don't say hot mess boy don't do it no don't do it they're well-written narrative sitcoms that go somewhere and each episode has storylines and character developments that want to make you keep watching them this doesn't this doesn't have that i'm sorry i just felt like there's not there's nothing that's going to get me watching it Mm. carry on watching it as as well made as it is and you know the other thing that annoys me about it mark maron (laughs) really annoys me now really yeah i just think he's a he's a grump and that is a grump on his podcast he's a grump here he plays grumps and everything he does and i'm like i just can't i just like so so what i don't think he's funny anymore wow and I, yeah and i know he's done podcasts with like you know obama and everything yes but i find him really tedious and impressive see i quite like wtf yeah. that's just a I personal issue uh, i, have I don't have a problem with mark maron and i wanted to like this a lot you know it started well with peppy 80 synth which i'm always there for uh, oh, the music's you know, great yeah, yeah yeah and it had you know alison brie putting on a <laughs> slightly upsetting faux soviet accent um you know and the challenges disaster kind of wrong-footed me but and all the way through i was i was exactly what you're saying i was like this is this is well written you know it's it's an interesting concept i like it's got a real sense of place and time but i just can't bring myself to care what's happening like mm. it just it didn't draw me in and you know again this is season three i've never watched an episode before this i don't know who these people are perhaps if i watched it from the beginning i'd be more drawn to it but no. I, I, I have no right well clearly not <laughs> but I, I didn't feel in any way inclined to either a watch the next episode or b go back to the beginning and start again so i think my glow journey began and ended with this particular episode i was surprised to see gina davis in there right and that was the one of the nicest things it's great to see gina davis yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, especially enough. when she at one point she's talking about a dance captain called Fluff Lecoq, which is always you know entertaining. Um, but really, that was that was and that and uh, and uh, and Alison Brie getting caught Boris like on a on a zip line uh, were really the high points. I feel bad that kind of you and I are reviewing this because I will say that I know loads of people are massive fans of Glow. Although I will just say that I only learned it stood for. 
Glorious gorgeous, ladies of wrestling. Gorgeous, isn't it? Gorgeous ladies oh, gorgeous. of wrestling. Gorgeous yeah. ladies of wrestling when you just said it then. Oh, okay. Um, but I've never, I tried to watch the first episode of season one and gave up and never went back to it. <laughs> and coming in at season three, I had no clue what was happening. Like less than no clue. I did find the whole uh, dodgy Russian accent while while that awful tragedy was unfolding I on screen. I am Alison Brie. I'm watching oh, Challenger Disaster. That did make me laugh. Um, uh, but I, f- I just found it, I was very confused about what was happening. Kind of got that they were now on uh, doing a live show at Vegas, right? Mm, yeah. uh, which is a completely different setup than it has been previously. Um, I have no fucking clue, to be honest, what was happening. But I didn't want to watch another episode. And that's it. So... It's a show that's clearly well regarded. Lots of people like it. Unfortunately, none of them are in this room at the moment, so you are shit out of and luck. I do feel like we should say that because I hear from people a lot who yeah. really like Glow. Glowheads. And maybe if I'd have been in it from the beginning, but I found I'd, what I would say is if you have not seen any of the previous seasons, you cannot just pick this. No, up. I think you, you need to start cannot. at the beginning, but I'm not sure that we necessarily recommend <laughs> it. I, I, I agree with that. I, there are, it has got its fans, but I think there is a reason it's finishing on this third season. I think yeah. it's because it is running out. It's just running out of steam. It right? is, as you say. Languid. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, that's... I thought that was a good uh, use of languid. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. yeah, better choice of words there than mine of hot mess. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so that's Glow, uh, season three of which drops on Netflix on Friday, August the 9th. Uh, we should also mention out this week is the fourth and final series of Preacher which is based on the awesome Garth Ennis comic book. I did actually argue that we should review this one instead of Glow. <laughs> but Boyd was so taken with the wrestling ladies that he was having none of it. No, I just at that noise that Terry just made yeah. there. Hang on. I said Terry wasn't in the in the in, 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 in Terry wasn't there at the time and I was like if you really think Terry's going to want to do the fucking preacher. <laughs> she didn't enjoy Glow either. either. I know, but preacher season whatever it is 10 78. <laughs> Still I feel, going. I feel, Nobody likes it. I feel that there's some. See, your this is this genre bias is what this is. We've had some. We've had some reviews on the uh, on the on the old uh, iTunes accusing Terry and I of both being terribly narrow minded. My and my writing off of an entire genre that is reality TV, and Terry for her disdain of uh, science fiction and fantasy. Um, yeah, the expanse, I mean, it's basically, basically the expanse yeah. and Fire Escape. I'm so, I'm so, yeah. a, a, I'm first of all looking forward to you reviewing the next season of The Expanse, which you're going to have to do. And uh, also, I'm looking forward to the fact you told me that you would watch an episode of Fire Escape if I chose one for you. So I'm going to do I'm that. I'm still waiting for you to choose. I'm going to do that. All right, fine, fine, fine. Before next week, I will think of an episode of Fire Escape for you. Okay, okay. I will bring it along next week and I will announce it then. Okay. And then, then it's you can a watch deal. it after. So you have a week off. You don't have to watch it this week. You'll okay. watch it next week but hang on we've got slightly derailed from this uh what i was going to say is like so so preacher i i watched the first two seasons of preacher and actually thought it was decent but i kind of didn't watch season three because i got a bit bored mm. so i don't know really i mean it's wrapping up like season four which is just starting is the last one what are you so, on about preacher Sorry. still preacher oh, still. Oh, <laughs> final season of preacher right <laughs> terry who was doing emails wasn't really listening but okay fine so to anyone who does still watch preacher you know you should probably watch this it's the final season uh but you know and you can catch up with Jesse Custer and the gang as they do their final <laughs> anyway it's on Amazon Prime from Monday so you know go nuts and it's that's... not as good as the boys which is the good adaptation of a thingy comic book there's nothing it? wrong with this one it's no, fine it's, not as good. it's fine alright anyway so what's our pick of the week it's Preacher excellent let's move oh on uh, I know what are we you saying idiot. pick of the week is are we saying I suspect it's euphoria uh, 100% it's euphoria it is euphoria, but this way up is fantastic as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fine. Right. Finally, before we go, uh, it's time for the 
Banshee segment, which, if you've not been with us from the beginning, is so named because the first show we did in it was Banshee. There you go. Because uh, it stuck. Anyway, this is the bit where Boyd and I cast an eye back over the bajillions of hours we've spent staring at screens to recommend an older show that you might not have seen, or if you have, you might want to revisit, and then Terry pisses all over it. Boyd, what's yours? Well, I was inspired by the fact that Indira Varma is in um, This Way Up. Yes, it's she one of is. The excellent people in it, and she plays um, Sean Hawkins' character as kind of confidant, and they have a, the other thing which I forgot to mention, they have a really interesting developing friendship as the show goes on. And Indira Varma is brilliant in everything she's in. Indeed. And she was in a um, crime drama whodunit called What Remains which went out about five or six years ago on BBC One. It was a four-parter. I absolutely loved it. It starred um, David Threlfall as the detective character who's like quite an eccentric detective and David Threlfall is fucking brilliant and he's invested. the case he's investigating is the body of a young woman found at the top of a huge big mansion house in London and she'd been dead for two years and no one noticed. And is, that the- re- is that based on a real story? Well, it's a little bit inspired. There are yes, examples of it, yeah. yeah. But so it's a little bit inspired by it. But this is a completely separate fictional case. And then all of the different inhabitants of this huge mansion house, all the separate flats where they live in, all the different characters become suspects. And it's a classic whodunit, but really, really well done. I have to. Russell Tovey's in it. Indira Varma's in it. Did you hear that, James? Hmm? Russell, Russell Tovey's in Russell it. Russell in. Indira Varma. Choice. Stephen McIntosh, Denise Goff, and others. And it's really great. And it's proper. Down deep, dirty crime who done it that Terry's going to love if she yes. got the chance to watch it. Is it BBC? It was BBC, yeah. Hmm. Wow. Beat that, Baldy. <laughs> um, right, okay, so my banshee. And I'm cheating slightly this week because this is a show I think a lot of people have seen. In fact, I know a lot of people have seen it, but it was a while ago. But more importantly, I'm seriously considering a rewatch, so I kind of want to talk about it. So I want to talk about Spooks. So, so. What? I want to talk about Spooks. Not Banshee. It's yeah. a Banshee. I'm not even I'm saying anything. Banshee. I don't need to say anything. Well, one of BBC's flagship yeah. primetime shows. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, that one. I'm just seeing back. It was from a while ago. Some of our younger readers, listeners might not have been alive. I mean, anyway. Doctor Who was a while ago. But... <laughs> so, this is, so Spooks, or MI5, as it was known in the US, was an, as you rightly point out, an absurdly popular show that ran for, <laughs> for 10 years, from like 2002 to 2011. Um, so this, it had, this had a slightly revolving cast, but featured, and I'm going to list them at various times, Matthew McFadden, Jenny Agata, Keely Hawes, David O'Yellow, Rupert Henry Jones, Hermione Norris, Richard Armitage, Tim McInerney, Percy from Blackadder, Hugh Laurie, Shazad Latif, and of course, Nicola Walker. Who got their, um, oh, is that, a spo- I mean, it can't be a spoiler yeah, after 10 the, years, the, the, head f- in the, the deep fat fryer. Oh, no, no, yeah. we're going to get onto that. We're going to okay. get onto that. We're going to get onto that. Also, I should point out, this also starred at one point Alice Krieg, who played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact. Anyway, anyway, so there was a raft of incredible people in this show, which was a kind of Le Carre-inspired spy thriller, which told the story of the British security services, uh, but kind of with more of an emphasis on the James Bondy stuff and less on the tedious admin, which is, I'm sure, is most of the job. So what I found fascinating about this show, and I'm sure you guys can remember this is that its evolution was kind of jarring in that do you remember so like season one started off as quite a gritty hard-hitting spy drama and the second episode genuinely at that point one of the most shocking things that had ever been on television so this is the one where tom mcnally shoves lisa faulkner's head into a deep fat fryer and the bbc's complaints office fucking exploded as a result of it them killing her off in such a not a casual way in terms of her death but Mm. you had no sense that they were getting rid of a major oh my god no and they like she gets tortured and then her head 
head, and I can't emphasize this enough, was shoved in a deep fat fryer. Um, and, you know, that that kind of, I was like, oh my God, like this is just, what the hell is going on? But then post season one, it became increasingly daft and camp. And like all of that edge just kind of evaporated. But I think what's kind of interesting is it it wasn't less compelling. Like it leaned Mm. into the stupidity and became really, really fun. And it embraced its absurdity and the kind of mission impossibleness of it all. Um, So I think it had serious bits from time to time, but it was really, really enjoyable. So this, as you rightly point out, was a massive hit for the BBC. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was described as people called it the British 24, I think, pretty much at the time. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think is that unfair. It's not far off. Is it the British Spooks? <laughs> I mean, it, it existed as an American show beforehand. What? What? No, it didn't. <laughs> Did it not? No, you oh. just made that up. It's not even called Spooks <laughs> in America. It's called MI Five. Yeah, but it's the same. It's the same show with a different name. I don't think that's true. I don't think so. I didn't know that. Maybe. I thought it was based on this on that. This show. feels a lot like <laughs> something that Terry goes, oh, or maybe that was a dream I had. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think? Right, it Boyd, may, it might go on, be, you've got a keyboard, look it, it up. Be a yeah, dr- it up. might yeah. be a dream. Wikipedia, I'm almost certain you've just made that up. Maybe I dreamt it. Mm, no mention of it being based on... on excellent, excellent. We have debunked that particular <laughs> myth. Uh, but I think we can all agree this did run out of steam towards the end of its I watched run. it right up until the end. Oh, so did I. Did you I watch, loved it. Did you watch Spooks? The Greater Good in 2015 with, oh, yeah, with John Snow. Weird, that was weird. Yeah, that it's was like weird. A, a weird sort of spin-off theatrical movie mm, yeah. with mm. with Kit Harrington. But I was I was um, compelled by Harry till the end. Oh, Harry Pierce! Oh, Come on, love Harry Pierce. Uh, did you know there was a spin-off show for this? Spooks Code Nine. Yes, on BBC Three. I think. Yeah, ridiculous. My God, was that shit. Yeah. So this was inspired by the success of Torchwood, apparently, and it was like a young, yes. young Spooks, Spooks, where it was like a, a group of agents fresh off their A levels, oh joining God. MI Five and getting in adventures. Uh, and needless to say, it was absolute ass and lasted six episodes. And I mean, although you can still well. find it, this you is all very well, it. James. But you fact is, you've picked one of the most famous uh, British TV dramas of the last like twenty years, and not only that, you've spoiled <laughs> one of the best things that happens in it. It's in the same. Second episode. Yeah, but still. What's the point of you recommending something when you spoil one of the best You can't have it both ways. Either, Boyd, either everyone has seen it, so I shouldn't be banishing it, or I'm spoiling it. You cannot have it both ways. The the few people (laughs) who haven't seen it, you spoiled it for. Fine. (laughs) Anyway, for those of you who I haven't spoiled it for, I heartily recommend going back to this. Uh, Proper Spooks was really good, and I'm going to watch it again myself. I am planning a big old rewatch, which I'm sure when I do, I shall recount in excruciating detail. (laughs) These season box sets are available secondhand for about 50p each if you so want them or you can stream the whole lot on Sky Go and presumably now TV 100% yeah so here's the thing I loved Spooks so in many ways I should go with James however I feel like you've fundamentally broken the rules of Banshee it's my game they're my rules by choosing a hugely successful long running tentpole show of one of our biggest TV channels so I think Boyd has to win by the rules of Banshee but I would say both both sound like they deserve adding to anyone's watch list does Boyd not get disqualified for shilling for his mate Russell Tovey because it was I was absolutely inspired by Indira Varma not Mm -hmm. Russell Tovey he Mm -hmm. just happens to be in it Likely story. Fine. And on that sweeping injustice, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. If you like that, then you'll love witnessing us firsthand during our live show, which I've already mentioned. Uh, London Podcast Festival, Friday, 13th September. Tickets. Uh, I actually don't know... If this is sold out, it might have done. I have no idea. So it'll be a really exciting (laughs) surprise for you either way when you go to the website. Um, And if you're in the clicking mood, 
why not head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating? Now, Sherlock Holmesian genius that I am, I noticed that several hundred of you have given us ratings. However, many, many thousands of you currently listen to the podcast, which means most of you are star-withholding bastards. So please address this at one. I'm going to get one-star ratings for this, aren't I? <laughs> Yes, you are. Please address this at once. Be kind, please. Uh, uh, lest a thousand tiny fleas infest your undergarments. Uh, hit us up on social media at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, at Boyd Hilton, and be sure to tune in next week or don't tune in since that's not really how podcasts work but be sure to find a way to listen next week when with any luck we'll be looking at David Fincher's Mind Hunter all in capital letters and very possibly giving a second chance to Succession which returns for season two uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give that one a, a second run through see if I hate it any less this time around I'll be honest with you I don't rate its chances but until then pilot out